This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. 2021 has followed on from where 2020 left us, actually, because it's been extremely volatile, extremely interesting, and markets are reacting appropriately, I think. We're into the second quarter of 2021, and there's so much to talk about. And some fairly meaningful events have occurred just in the last few days. I'm with John Stopford now, who's the head of global multi-asset income at 91 in London. And when I say meaningful events, John, I'm talking about the Janet Yellen speech, which I found quite meaningful. And secondly, these packages that President Joe Biden is coming up with, i.e. 1.9 trillion to put into the pockets of American people, and also the infrastructure spend, which has yet to be passed, but probably will be, which is 2 trillion. So we've got trillions going into the market. We've got Janet Yellen talking down the prospects of inflation and the um, interest rate scenario looking as though it'll be benign for a couple of years yet. It's all quite good, isn't it, for asset classes? Um, well, certainly asset prices, particularly equities, think so. And that, you know, we've, we've seen governments and central banks doubling down on stimulus, and the US has, has really led the charge. So, in addition to handouts to try and keep the show on the road during lockdowns and as as lockdowns ease clearly this sort of rebuilding the us infrastructure which is a sort of long-run plan you know that we're talking about some very hefty amounts of money coupled with as you say a, a, a commitment by the fed to keep policy loose for the foreseeable future and, and that's a sort of heady mix obviously equities have sharply from their lows in March last year and then now pricing in a, a fair amount of optimism and and in the short term at least that optimism looks you know uh, to be right if you look at things like PMI or ISM surveys you know people are expecting the end of lockdown to to lead to something that at least a, a boom in the short term when you say short term uh, do you mean that again this is an analogy i use quite often is that it's like people getting out of jail and immediately saying right what's the first thing i'm going to do well the first thing i'm going to do is uh, go down the pub or go to a restaurant or go and spend some money that i haven't been able to do for for the last year because i've been incarcerated that sort of thing do you think it's then therefore a short term phenomenon and in fact we shouldn't worry so much about the short term because that will be good but we should worry about the medium term and the consequences the consequences of all this money that's flooding, flooding into the system? Well, I mean, clearly the, the short term to some extent is baked in the cake. If, if you're doing and start doing something, you know, the, the rate of change of that is, is pretty dramatic. So we're going to get some extraordinary year on year growth numbers. You've also got people who whose incomes have been either have carried on because they've they've been able to work in lockdown or they've been supported by uh, government furlough schemes and and so forth you know they've got a lot a lot of people sitting there with with pent up cash they haven't been able to spend it all on you know upgrading their home office or installing um gym equipment or you know buying garden furniture or whatever <laughs> people have been spending lots of money on you know yes. they haven't been able to go out they haven't been able to go to the um you know on holiday all that that kind of stuff 
So there is there's a lot of pent up spending um, which looks like it's going to be released, and there, there, there's a big sort of build up in savings a, a, across the economy as a whole. Even if you know at an individual level, there are definitely people who've who've had a pretty or very tough time, lots of job losses. But as a whole, the economy looks pretty well placed to come out in a sort of and raw, and then easy policy on top of that, and and sort of additional fiscal easing is just adding fuel to the mix. I guess the question is you know, um, not immediately, but a bit further down the line. Firstly, if that starts to, you know, ends up with um, uh, more signs of, of inflation pressure building, you know, at some point will um, policymakers step back and begin to tighten monetary policy. And then also, you know, it, it once government splurged all this money, you know, what backs it up? And I guess, so yeah, there's some question marks about after the initial boom, how, how long lasting it is, but definitely yes. a lot of uh, pent up sen- saving and spending that 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 um, should support the economy for a while. There was a large European based investment bank came out with a statement today saying just be a bit a little bit careful. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but we haven't got time to go into what they what they said in detail. They said just be careful because things look a little bit too frothy. And then you've got uh, Jamie Dimon, I, I think, saying we're underestimating what's going on. And indeed, uh, the IMF has upgraded, I think, world economic growth in 2021 or for the next year anyway, to be uh, about 6%. But people talking about the US growth being 8 to 10% higher this year, which would be the best, I think, since 1983. Obviously, it's coming off a low base. Uh, where do you stand on economic data? I, I think it is important to mark to sort of get some sense of what's baked in. And, and the, the revisions we have seen to um, forecasts over the last three or four months have been pretty dramatic. So, you know, the world is expecting a boom to some extent and forecasters are expecting a boom. And that sort of suggests that that's broadly what's priced in the financial markets. So the danger at this point is, you know, the good news is in the price. And then it's much more unclear from then on whether, you know, expectations can continue to surprise positively or whether actually from here on out things become a bit bit more mixed, a bit more difficult. And so it probably becomes more of a market for stock pickers rather than just owning market, you know, direction, owning owning beat, owning broad exposure. And it, it becomes about trying to identify winners and losers, you know, at, at a, an asset class and at a, a security level. And I, so I think it, it's been easy to make money initially just because you've had lots of, of stimulus thrown at the market and ultimately growth is, is going to be good. From here on out, then I think it becomes um, somewhat trickier and more, you know, you need to be a bit more about implications for different areas and, and where the, the upside and data risk might differ rather than just being broad brush bullish. What about inflation? And what did you make of what uh, Janet Yellen, the head of the US Treasury, said in the last 48 hours? Because when I look at it, I mean, I'm a simple broadcaster. When I look at trillions going into the world's largest economy to re-inject some life into it, which is which is a good thing, I, I think, if they can pay for it. But when I see bond yields going up and uh, I see a blowout jobs number from the United States on Friday, on Good Friday, when we were, it was a very good Friday, 
Friday for jobs. I think to myself, well, if a million people have have their jobs back, they 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 either they pay off their debts or they go out and and, and spend it. So in the short term, perhaps inflation will rise, but perhaps the system is so efficient these days that it doesn't matter and inflation will remain contained. What do you think at ninety one? Well, I, I think it's a, you know it's a really good question. So we've been in an era for in the short term where nobody has worried about how you're going to pay for this. You know, governments have been splurging, um, and they've been able to do that because you know central banks have been complicit or have been uh, you know facilitating that borrowing, and um, investors haven't really put any pressure on bond markets. And the, and the sort of cost of, of funding um, over the longer term. And, and so, you know, it has sort of been free money. But the, the amounts we're talking about, then you know, whether they can continue, I, I think the, the longer it goes on, more more difficult it becomes. And so you've got Janet Yellen now um, talking about tax hikes and in particular talking about um, the need for global coordination. So mm. in We've had something of a race to the bottom in terms of corporate tax rates, you know, different jurisdictions trying to attract businesses to their area um, by by offering low tax deals. Um, And clearly, governments are worried now that, you know, that that ultimately is self-defeating, that they need to get together and agree minimum so they all they can rely on companies to provide revenue to sort of um, pay for all this spending or some of this spending that that's going on. And I, I think the worry down the, the line, as you touched on, is it's fine as long as the cost of borrowing is zero, uh, and, or, and particularly if the cost of borrowing is sort of zero or negative in real terms, so adjusted for inflation. The problem comes when central banks want to try and tighten policy because they're, being, they're beginning to worry that inflation is picking up if that happens. Um, but at the same time, then worrying that they're pushing up the cost of debt for have loaded up um, significantly on, on borrowing. So there's this sort of the independence of central banks, the ability of central banks to fight inflation and, and to tighten policy potentially becomes compromised because they're also increasingly an arm of the state and an arm of, of you know, the, all this government borrowing that's going on. Um, so so it's not an immediate problem, but I, I, it is probably a good thing that Janet Yellen and others are thinking about it. I mean, that the the prescription uh, is unfortunately, I guess, you know, slightly uh, old school in that it's it's not about curtailing f- future spending. It's about taxing more. And, and so, you know, we potentially end up in a world where government spending and government taxation both are have, go up on a sort of more structural level and whether that's good for you know, the global economy in the long run isn't clear. You know, you could argue in the short run, yes, US has underinvested in infrastructure for a long time. So there's a need, but it is easy for those sort of temporary treatments to become permanent and to become longer lasting. And that, that I think, is is more of a concern. So, so there are lots of things going on in terms of inflation. You know, I mean, I think it's very likely, well, it's almost certain we get some inflation in the short term just because yes. you've got prices that collapsed last year and, and are rebounding a bit this year. But also, you probably do have more favourable conditions for a, a sort of higher level of inflation in the medium term. So some of the things constraining inflation, like demographics, look like they're less powerful. So, you know, the US dependency ratio looks like it's sort of 
reached a, a sort of peak in the near term as younger people start to come into the workforce. Um, you've got um, clearly central banks wanting some inflation. They've failed to hit their inflation targets. They want average inflation to be higher. You've obviously got all the fiscal spending. Uh, you've potentially got you know, other legislative things like trying to push up minimum wages. Um, you've got less potentially you know, globalization or some deglobalization as, as we sort of move into trading blocks and, and you know, sanctions and other, or, or, or tariffs on competitors come in and more local, you know, um, purchasing and, and manufacturing, all of those kind of things, you know, they remove some of the forces that have, have led to such strong disinflationary forces in recent years. And potentially it means we do get some inflation. And then you do have this challenge for central banks of how do you address inflation on the one hand without um, bankrupting your government on the other by pushing interest rates up too far and too fast. And, and will markets do some of that for you anyway? Is there danger of a surprise and suddenly inflation gets ahead of the curve and they have to say to themselves, well, wait a second, the market was flagging the inflation problem a couple of months ago and we've got to do something about it. But as you quite rightly say, we can't scupper the nascent recovery by raising interest rates. It's going to be an interesting potential conundrum. Well, I think in the short term, it's probably not an issue because, you know, they're, they're talking about average inflation and it takes time to establish an average, essentially. And some of this is effects, which they will look through. So I think it's going to be less of a problem in the next six to 12 months where they can essentially ignore some of the pickup of inflation unless it's very extreme. It's more that if it then persists for a period of time and continues to surprise on the upside, you know, then the pressure for them to act and potentially the pressure coming from the bond market, you know, will be building. So I think this is, you know, the, the inflation worry is more about the medium term than, you know, short term pickup in inflation. I mean, it's going to be a much more challenging decade. And I guess the other issue is, you know, to what extent are valuations of asset prices overinflated by cheap money? And as that begins, you know, if market liquidity and and you know, the easiness or accommodation from central banks, if that begins to become less supportive, you know, we're, we're in what I think is a pretty unstable equilibrium glo globally. We've got lots of big forces acting on markets and acting on economies, you know, massive fiscal, massive monetary policy, lots of overhang of things like, you know, debt, government debts, other structural issues, and so on, you know, I think the markets are essentially quite fragile. And if you uh, tighten too slowly, you risk bubbles. If you tighten too quickly, you risk crashes and, and try to get policy just right. You know, the sort of Goldilocks thing, I think, is increasingly hard. Mm. What does this mean for you as head of global multi-asset income at 91 in London? Do you say to yourself, OK, 2020, we we navigated and we did it correctly because we realised that this was a crash in March and April that was we were going to get through. But now you look at 2021 and you look at the events that we've just described in the last few minutes. Do you say to yourself, OK, there has to be a different multi-asset allocation? Or are you sticking to your guns? Well, I, I think for us, I mean, the, the beauty of running a multi-asset strategy is you have inherent flexibility. You can change the portfolio potentially quite radically as circumstances change. So we're constantly looking at the valuations of different asset classes and obviously also within that different sectors, different regions, different individual securities. 
we're looking at um, the fundamental dynamics. So what's happening in terms of drivers of growth and expectations of growth, what's happening in terms of policy. And then we're looking at th simple things like, you know, how much optimism or pessimism, you know, how much positioning overhang there appears to be in particular positions. So we're, we're, we're trying to think all the time about, you know, what looks safest and most like most likely to benefit from the current environment and what looks most dangerous and um, likely to be hurt and, you know, adapt the portfolio gradually through time or quickly if we need to, if, if, if things are changing quickly and always have an eye to, you know, the risk to the downside, because I think we've lived in the last, you know, decade and a bit Mm. with very fragile markets where every so often you get a 10, 15, 20% fall in equities, potentially largely because, you know, something small has changed, but everyone is positioned the same way and, and you get a sort of shakeout. Um, I guess as long as, you know, economies are able to continue to expand and policy remains broadly supportive, it's unlikely, I think, that we get a proper bear market. But, you know, we we've already gone from uh you know bear market to bull market in record time in in the last year yes you know it does sort of feel like everything is foreshortened and you know this cycle looks like it could be relatively short we could you know go from beginning to end much quicker than recent cycles same potentially in terms of of you know market the market cycle so i i think it is about being more flexible more nimble and and just constantly reassessing where are the risks and where are the opportunities? And, and you know, rather than just investing and closing your eyes and coming back a few years later to see what happened. So what you're saying is you've got to earn your monthly envelope because it's a stock picker and an asset allocator's market. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think, you know, the anything that's obvious is already, you know, probably fully priced. So you have to work a bit harder and you have to be prepared to um, – change the portfolio through time because you know things move significantly and there's lots of change going on in terms of growth inflation policy all of the things ultimately that are going to cause prices to move i'm really sorry that you're going to have to work hard in 2021 but i'm, <laughs> I'm sure that you will john thanks so much for your time that's john stotford who's the head of global multi-asset income at 91 in london